Welcome to Geek Out with Angie Fiedler-Sutton, an ongoing discussion on geeky topics. Hello, fellow geeks. Apologies for the delay. October, as with the rest of 2018, has been just one thing after the other. I hope this was worth the wait. I can take my mind off of you. Nikola Tesla is considered by many geeks to be an unsung hero of the 20th century. In fact, the webcomic The Oatmeal once did a comic on why Nikola Tesla was the greatest geek who ever lived. The inventor of alternating current and many other ideas that we now use regularly, the man is hardly known outside of the geek realms, outside of a fairly vague way. I mean, he was played by David Bowie in The Prestige, but... Composer Aaron Guzzo was fascinated by the man after reading the Oatmeal's comic and decided to write a musical based on his life. I sat down with Guzzo and discussed the musical, his process as a composer, and how he got from Indiana to Los Aaron Angeles Guzzo. and how this I helped the bring the musical to life. Tesla, the musical. We met at USC uh, at an Iron Man screening, but you're not a USC alum. I'm always interested in origin stories. Um, so tell me, uh, your composer, that's primarily music, tell me about the very first time you decided to put pen to paper or fingers to keyboard, however you decide to compose. So for piano, I first learned against my will as a child. I did not want to play. I was not any good and uh, um, was essentially forced to take lessons and, and wasn't, again, I just wasn't, an, I wasn't one of those kids on Ellen who just did it off he goes with Mozart. No. And uh, so for years and years, I just struggled and it wasn't till oh, 10 years in maybe and like when I was in middle school that things started to click and some I, I think that came hand in hand with the composing while I was playing other people's music I was I, I guess I was bored and then when I figured out wait I can do my own then I started to care more so actually a few of the songs in the show actually musically just the basic melody are from when I was 13, 14, 15, uh, not the whole show, but a few songs. And of course they evolve over, over the last years. So that was, uh, you know, I, I guess the, the music snobs may laugh at me for this, but the real thing that, that just blew me up was seeing Phantom of the Opera. I'm from Indiana, Southern Indiana. We don't get a whole lot of, of original Broadway shows coming through there. Um, so, you know, we're not going to be seeing Dear Evan Hansen and Hamilton there, but Phantom, biggest show ever, made its way uh, pretty close by to Louisville, went and saw that, and that just, I had no clue anything like that existed or could exist, and that was a big eye-opener as far as, oh, musicals don't have to be peppy rockets, let's all do jazz hands. They can be really dark, really scary, really emotional, and really powerful, uh, and from that, then I went on to discover other great Jekyll and Hyde, Sweeney Todd, um, all dark shows, I guess. But um, somewhere along the way came came Tesla, uh, which is 
If you know anything about Nikola Tesla's story, it's uh, is not sunshine and, and lollipops the whole way through. No, it is not. Um, now, uh, I spent last night and this morning uh, going through the links you sent me, including the, the podcast that you had done previously. I will link it in the show notes for those who are listening. Um, you'd mentioned that you came across Tesla uh, kind of the same way I did, although I kind of knew him beforehand, but through the, the oatmeal comic. Yes. Yeah, I, I wish I could say I, I am some great researcher who who was ahead of the curve. Nope, that, that thing went viral, and uh, I was one of the many, many, many who found that. And my first assumption, I think I say this in that other podcast, was that we were slightly being trolled, that they were, because it is very hyperbole. They, they are being silly with it. And I, I go on to the old Wikipedia and see, oh, despite all the jokes throughout it, it's accurate. This guy really was in love with a pigeon at the end of this life of his life. This guy really did plan to send energy through the Earth's core and and all over the Earth and shake it. Um, he he truly was a, a wonderfully mad scientist in the best and worst ways. He created a death ray. I love a guy who invents a death ray. Well. <laughs> According to my show, he did, but according to my research I did after that, that is purely speculative. When he was in Colorado Springs, he owed them a bunch of money, which was a running theme throughout his whole life. He owed everybody money. And he left them a crate saying, instead of uh, money, I am giving you a death ray, and it is the most powerful weapon ever made, and don't open it or you might die. And then got out of town, and then, of course, they open it, and it was a pile of junk parts. So the part that's fun is, did he leave them a bunch of junk, or was it just something so advanced that, to us, it was junk, but you put it together in the way only Tesla could, and, yeah, you have a death ray. I am a bit of a cynic, and I think he basically conned them. I don't think he ever made a death ray. I think Tesla was strapped for cash and needed sensational headlines. Like they do talk about today with um, a lot of times academic papers are published just to get them funding, not because they've discovered something amazing. I think this is no different. He was starting to fade from limelight. Edison, of course, was getting all the glory. So he needed a sensational headline. Hey, a death ray. Cool. My take on it is he never made it. However, because it's a musical that needs some spectacle in our musical, he has got a death ray, and it is fantastic. Now, um, a lot of my interviews with with creators, I try and go into the, a lot of process questions. Um, as a composer, do you typically stay at the piano? Is it a lot of uh, you know handwriting down on the the music store? How do you go about composing? I just realized I was nodding throughout <laughs> your whole question, and this is an audio podcast. Um, yeah, the melody comes first. I, I have the, the, a lot of the composers I, I do admire. Like for example, Stephen Schwartz. My understanding with he's the opposite. He writes lyrics, and it shows. He has very complex, amazing lyrics, and then he bends a twisty, turny song around that. I, I guess since this is my first real rodeo doing this, I'm a bit more simple in that. I sat down well, four years ago, maybe, and I, I basically just outlined. Tesla's life, like a book report. This happened, this happened, and this happened. And then I looked at my trunk songs. What melodies do I already have? And then sort of mixed the match. Okay, he's really angry in this part. Angry music, boop, there it goes. He's really sad here. Or another character who maybe loves him is very sad here. Okay, here's my sad, weepy ballad song. So then I lined, so all the trunk songs went in, and then I saw, okay, where are my gaps? Okay, I would like 
five or six things that I have nothing for. And oh crap, I have to actually be a composer now and, you know, write something original. And that was the hard part. I, you, I think this is common for any uh, musician to just sit down and emote and, hey, I'm really feeling heartbroken right now. Out it comes. It's, it's not too hard if you know chords and what you're doing. But to go, okay, in this part, Nikola Tesla is pitching Wardenclyffe to investors who are not interested. Also, Anne Morgan is chasing him, and he uses that to get J.P. Morgan to fund it. Oh, Andy's going a little bit nuts. And, 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 and. I don't know exactly that. My, my piano teacher didn't prep me for that musical expression. So those type of things, which are complicated, uh, frankly, weren't that fun to write. And it's like after, it's like working out. Everyone likes to have worked out. When you're done, yeah, that was great. In the middle of it, no. It was same, where in the middle of it, I'm beating my head against the wall. And at the end, I go, yeah, that was awesome. That song's great. So hopefully the end product, you will not be able to tell between the trunk songs that Aaron had sitting there for 10 years that he put in and the originals that he had to really dig down to create. As a writer myself, although I don't go into music, I, I know that every uh, piece uh, is different in terms of how, you know, what, what approaches you. And yes, you had Tesla's life to base it off of. But uh, walk me through one song specifically, like what may, you know, how did you decide what to write about it? Um, you know, which pieces of his life, you know, did you want to focus a song on that kind of stuff? So because it's a musical, we have to be a little bit cheesy, of course. And there was a quote from him that really was the moment I knew there's a show here, period, without without any doubt. And it was he it's, it's I'm going to misquote it slightly, but it was at the end of his life. So before I say the quote, you just need to know he was a very handsome man. He was a, for a while very famous and rich man for a brief bit. He was like the most eligible bachelor. And in New York, he had pretty well any woman falling at his feet, married and unmarried. And he, he never married, never dated, uh, uh, essentially died a virgin. And he felt that would distract from his creation. And the end of his life, he said, for all I have done, it was all for nothing, for I never loved. And that hit me on A, that's relatable today, and that I think a lot of us are, I'm busy, I don't have time for that, I, I'm, I'm building my career. That's super relatable. His life is not relatable. His life, if you read his, his memoir, there's pages and pages of either A, rambling nonsense, or B, super genius design schematics that I have no clue what he's writing about. So finding things that were relatable were tricky. So that was one. I'm like, okay. He, and then two, most musicals and shows, it's very much the guy is chasing the girl. It's all about the guy. And he has to be funny. He has to be clever. He has to be smart. He has to be all these things. And the girl is pretty. And she's the prize that he gets at the end. It's been done so many It's just boring to me. I like the idea of a reverse where, no, he's he's good to go. He's pretty well, any, any lady he wants is there, and he himself builds that prison. He himself is his own worst enemy. So we, we sort of amalgamated a few of his love interests into one, Katherine Johnson, who was real. She was married, oh, for shame. And she wrote all of these pretty steamy letters to him that my writing partner, Craig, and I were pretty stunned reading. It's the 1890s, and she's writing like, oh, could I get you alone for a moment? I'm like, wow, okay. So 
she was the most fascinating. So we sort of put all of the, the romance stuff on, on her. And let's see, as far as a song that came out of that sentiment, there's the big love song. Every, every uh, Broadway show, or excuse me, every good Broadway show has its I dreamed a dream, music of the night, memory. The I want song. The I want song, the big love ballad, the, uh, um, in, or like in Wicked's case, it's the one at the end, Because I Knew You. There's the, the one that every, you know, maybe makes it to the radio. Uh, so for this one, there's one simply called Catherine's Song, and it is one of the, musically, one of the first songs I ever wrote. And fairly simple. If you take away all the orchestration, the melodies in my music is pretty simple. And it's a, it's a, it's a sad song, and it's the song of... So let me back up. It's not good to have your main character in every single scene. They're going to blow their voice out two shows in. So you got to find moments that are about the people in their life. To just keep, also keep the audience from like, oh my God, I'm sick of Tesla. So there's a, a slightly fabricated moment we made to just sort of visualize and sum up their situation where she asks him out to to basically a date and he accepts and she's all excited they have a song about that and then he wins the bid to power the world's fair now the history on that is whoever this is 1893 columbian exposition devil in the white city read it whoever powered that basically is going to power the world from that point on. everyone's looking to see who's going to pull this off he won that contract and that and just getting that could have been a musical in itself so we kind of skim over that anyway he wins that contract, and in the slightly fabricated moment, we have he rushes off to go prepare for that and celebrates and forgets the date, and she is stood up and then has a very, uh, basically the sad bastard song, only bastardettes, I don't, I don't know, anyway, and so that one is the first song I wrote musically, but it's also the first song I put to this, and that it just jumped out at me. It was the one, everything else I sort of debated, does this go here, does this? This one, no, this is that. And it always was that before I even knew what Tesla was. And when I was figuring out lyrics, I did not want to write lyrics. I am not a lyricist. I don't know how to write lyrics. And I, I had a writing partner, I, I do, I presently have, who ultimately did lyrics, but it never crossed my mind that he could. So I searched for a few lyricists on Craigslist, which was a fun mistake. And one of the guys, um, we sort of got writing on, I sort of, and I, I didn't like anything that anyone else was bringing in. I didn't like anybody's lyrics. Uh, I guess I was just picky. And I sort of had a to hell with it. I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to try. And I just had one lyric at the beginning of, it's half an hour past eight, get it together, Kate. Surely he is just late. Very simple. Um, but from that, it was just the like, you can do it, Aaron. You can you can do a song. So from that, that song came in like a half hour. The music was already there and just boom, boom, boom. Because it's not involving science. It's not involving history. It's just an emotion. So I, I started simple with songs like that. And then towards the end, we get into things were in Tesla's brain. A better example of a song process I'll give. He writes in his memoir that when his mother passed away, she appeared to him as an angel. And the, and the most beautiful music ever played, which I'm like, okay, well, there's a challenge. But I knew that had to go in. That is a very cinematic, I know it's not a movie, but cinematic moment, an emotional moment, and also, again, relatable of losing someone you know, who comes, talks, and gives words of comfort to him. 
So that song in Act 2 is a reprise of something that is in Act 1. I, and this is something Lloyd Webber, my, my musical hero, does a lot. To a lot of critics' dismay is he'll take a melody and there's the main version of it and then reprise it and reprise it and reprise it to the point it drives some people crazy. But I, I think when done right, that is very powerful, especially if it's um, happy and then you play it against that. Example there's in Jesus Christ Superstar, the main song, I Don't Know How to Love Him. Nice, again, love ballad. Mary Magdalene doesn't know how to love Jesus. Then towards the end, when Judas is losing his mind and about to kill himself, spoiler, he sings the song back and is basically screaming it. And it's, it's, super, it's really messed up and a warped, distorted version of the song that I, I think was a, it's a perfect use of a reprise. Same here, only the opposite. There is a, at the end of Act One, we end on a big lame is power ballad note where all everyone's different agendas clash over each other. And it's a big, it's a big like rock, like a rock ballad. When his mother then appears to him in Act Two after the World's Fair, I take that exact same melody, slow it down, strip all the other parts out of it and just have her sing that back to him, almost like a lullaby. And the whole, the whole stage, as Envision freezes, every, and like time stops, and it's just him and her. And there's a lot of busyness in the show. And that's one moment that's just a boy and his mother saying goodbye to him. And it, it, it works. I've never lost a parent, and I get emotional in it. So that was where that one came out of. If I'd done an original sad song, it wouldn't have worked as much as... He's remembering when things were good. He's remembering the happy times but now in a sad lens so take a happy song put it to sad music interesting especially the bit where uh with regards to to the women i know that a lot of people myself included kind of headcanon using a fandom phrase uh tesla as asexual which doesn't necessarily preclude him having romantic interests as someone who's somewhat asexual myself but that leads me to I didn't know about the women, so that leads me to um, tell me a little bit more about like the research that you did on Tesla before you like approached this project. How much did you do? Where did you go? How deep of a dive did you do? I was lost to the world for about a year. <laughs> it was a deep, deep dive down the rabbit hole, and I loved it. I, I, I really did. And that was, my again, another indicator that there's something here. I wasn't bored. I wasn't checked out. It was... It was Everything I learned about him fascinated me more and more and more. And even just about the times, about the 1890s and the turn of the century and how things worked then. So I spent about a year reading everything I could on the guy. And I'll, I'll show you my stack of uh, Tesla books I have. So read everything I could, took a bunch of notes, basically saw the same story emerge over and over and over. And the same points jumped out to me each time I read his story from a different author. I did go to, my, my dad and I went to Serbia and Croatia, where he's from. So Tesla is genetically, ethnically Serbian, but was born in modern day Croatia. So both countries claim him, and, and in my book, rightfully so, they both have a claim on him. So there's a, a Tesla museum in Belgrade uh, that when he died, all of his everything was sent there, and the, the museum was founded pretty immediately after his death and has been there ever since. He is their hero and god there. You, it's, you land in Belgrade, it's Nikola Tesla Airport. There's Nikola Tesla mugs, which I have one. And, you know, and someone pointed out, like, who else do you know 
from Serbia who's not a politician or war general or, or someone from war. And I, I don't know. I'm sure there are others. I didn't know. So went to their museum. And then in Croatia, at his birth home, there is a museum there as well that is a, a reconstruction. It's, it's been, you know, 150, 60 years since he was born. So they uh, went uh, a quick story on his birth home. I had a sort of emotional moment. There is a room there that they project all of his different inventions as just the, we all know his name, but it's what exactly did Tesla do? A lot of us know, okay, alternating current, but tip of the iceberg. The dude was all over the map. And so they project all his blueprints and patents and whatnot. And while you do that, there's headphones you put on. And Mayor LaGuardia of New York gave a very powerful eulogy when, when Tesla passed away in 1947 and just talks about like he died penniless, but he's not a failure. He is everything a person can be. Do not mourn him, but celebrate him. And so I'm there listening to this and just crying my eyes out. And like, I'm, I'm like, this is the end of the show. This is it. This is it. We see the future and he sees it. He himself, upon entering the afterlife, sees what good he did to the world while the eulogy plays and Catherine is there to take him to the, to the afterlife. And, you know, I'm all emotional. And the, the lady who runs the place, who uh, uh, got me free admission, uh, she just, just came over and, and put her hand on my shoulder. And she, I hadn't finished writing it. I had just gotten started. She put her hand on my shoulder and she said, you must write this. You must do this. And that was like the like charge from God of like, take this seriously. So anyway, the, the, the research was the most fun part. It only got harder from there because I'm not having to create. I'm just receiving everything he did. And unfortunately, the hardcore uh, fellow Teslian nerds, when they see the show, they will know, wait a second, they left this out. They left this out. The dude was, lived to be 87 and did a, had an action-packed life. So the show is currently running two hours, 20 minutes, which even that is a little long. Certain things had to go. Example, Mark Twain. That was a big part of his life. He was pals with Mark Twain. There's pictures of the two of them messing around in his lab and having a great time. And the more Craig and I looked at Mark Twain, the more we realized he's going to take over this show. He is just larger than life. There's no version of Mark Twain just being a cameo or a supporting character because he's so fascinating in himself. So we mention him in dialogue, but Twain never makes an appearance, which... I can understand if people are disappointed, but that is one thing that they're flat out on Tesla's quest to bring us electricity had to had to go. We had to cut some of our darlings. Same issue that any biopic has to do. They, they have to determine which events are worthy of, of screen time or, for your own case, stage time. Um, you talk a little bit about Craig. Uh, tell me a little bit about how, how you two met, how he became a co-writer, and, and kind of a little bit about his presence in the musical. Well, I and he were screenwriters first. When I'm, I, so I'm from Indiana, moved to L.A., not for the Broadway musical business, because that's not why you moved to L.A. I was going to say, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> what am I doing here? What am I doing here? I love L.A. to death, don't get me wrong, and I love our theater scene, but that, that, that's not the first thing you think of when you think of L.A. <laughs> it is the last. And in our, as we're gearing up for our next version of the show, our, our producer is like, so wherever we go, it will not be L.A. So anyway, uh, moved here as a screenwriter. And it's Craig. Craig his song. And he was in my class at Columbia. So Columbia College Chicago has a outgoing semester in L.A. class for outgoing seniors. So if you do move to L.A., 
you're not just hitting it without knowing anybody out here, which was actually very, probably the best part of that school was having at least one connection out here. And going way, way back before even Tesla, I, I had a, may I say, brilliant screenplay called Fear County that who wouldn't want to see a haunted county? And I gave it to all my classmates for notes. That's what, that's what you do. You need peer review. You need people to tell you how bad it is. I mean, how good it is. And Craig was the only person who got back with me and he shredded my script. I had another one, Arkham, based on the works of H.P. Lovecraft, which is also a great script. Anyway, he destroyed me and I was pretty upset upon here. I'm like, dude, like, why do you have a whole notebook full of criticisms? Come on. Like, I don't know you. What are you doing? And I went home after his first and I was all I was all ticked off. Like, I'm a genius. And then I realized, what are you doing? This guy took the time, really thought about these scripts. No one else did. And I'm upset because he's right. If he was totally bogus, I wouldn't be upset. I'd be like, okay, that dude's crazy. He was right about every point. And I knew, ah, crap, I got I to gotta do these notes. And so from that, we began working on these projects together. And I'll, I'll also show you, we, have, we, we make posters out of what we make to sort of remind ourselves what, what this is about. So we started as screenwriters together. Then now we're roommates because LA is expensive and you better split that rent as many ways as possible. And I sold one screenplay that I had written on my own about Jonestown, the mass suicide. It's a, it's a musical. It's a, it's, a, it's a comedy. No, I'm kidding. It is, it is not. It is a... Sweeney Todd. Hey, if they can do it. No, it's, it's a very serious take and, and, and I hope honorable take on what happened. So I, I got pretty full of myself. Hey, I got a movie set up. I'm good to go. And then as is tradition, the company that bought it folded. And through legalese, I didn't get the rights back. I did last week, though. But this was five years ago. And I didn't have the rights. And I, I was destroyed. I was crushed. And I, I'm like, I don't ever want to write again. I spent a year writing this thing and didn't make a whole lot of money from the sale because you don't get the money until its cameras start rolling. I just got a little bit. And I knew, I'm like, this screenplay, this, this is a Jonestown, this is as good as I get. This is the, I have put everything into this. And if this isn't enough, then I'm not enough. And Craig was my roommate and saw me being mopey and whiny. And he was like, Aaron, how about this? Let's don't give up on writing altogether. Just take a break from writing for movies and for the screen. Cause that's a, that whole thing, the wheels turn so slow. I've heard the songs you write. I've, I've heard what you do in the piano. And I, I make money as a music director, and there's not a lot of that in L.A. And he's like, how about write a musical, but that way you're not having to deal with film people. You're writing, and to produce a musical requires a fraction of the budget of a film. You want Even like Jonestown, which was a small movie, that's, that's $15 million. You're asking someone for $15 million, which is, you know, tough. Whereas a musical, even a big musical that runs for a year, it's 10 million. And you can even do much, much smaller than that. So anyway, from that, I then also was applying at NYU for their musical writing program. And one of the prompts was come up with a musical. I came up with one of, I just wrote Nikola Tesla's Life because I had just seen that oatmeal article. And Craig was proofreading my work. And I think honestly not wanting me to go to NYU. And he saw, he said, Aaron, you don't have a hundred grand sitting around to go get a master's degree in musical composition. You, you, your, your writing is fine. Just, just do write Tesla. Let's write Tesla. And then I said, okay, I'll write Tesla. 
and did the music first, did my Craigslist interviews for lyricists. It was crazy town uh, and frankly frightening. And I knew I couldn't do the lyrics alone. I did the Catherine song I told you about, but I knew when it came to actual let's portray history accurately and portray science accurately, advanced science accurately, and some pseudoscience accurately, I knew I was in over my head. And so I don't know why I didn't think of Craig sooner, but I was like, oh my God, I have a writing partner. And talked to him, he said the same thing. I don't write lyrics. I don't know how to do that. And I said, well, let's try it together. And two months went by and we had like two songs to our name, but it was exponential. The more we wrote, the faster it went. And we wrote like all of act two in the course of like a month and a half. So that that's how that started with Craig and me. Screenwriters first, then roommates, and then now together on, on Tesla. Now, I know uh, when we met, it was way back in May, and the, the, the play was going up in July, and unfortunately, um, that my life kind of fell apart then, so I did not get a chance to see it, but tell me about how, how that, you know, putting it on, the actual putting it on process, how did that go, and how did, how did you determine where to go, and how to, set, you know, how to produce it there? First off, it was the time of my life. It was just great. Um, there's a quote in a, a very good movie, The Disaster Artist, in which if you know about it, it's about a, a, a Tommy was making the room and, and uh, things are all going wrong on set. And someone asks a character, one of the actors, why do you do this? Why are you here? Why, this, is, this is crazy. And she said, the worst day here is better than the worst. The, the worst day here is better than the best day not here. And I, that quote, I think, is true of, of us mounting the show at Barnstall Theater in Hollywood. The worst day there, which actually there really weren't that many bad days. It went pretty smoothly. It was like better than my best day elsewhere. It, it truly was like how Frankenstein felt making his, his monster. Uh, it was just, oh, there it is. There's the thing that has been in my brain for three years. It's, it, and it was a delight to see, oh, it's, it's pretty much like I saw it. We were doing some rewriting, but it's not like, oh, crap, act two's got to go. We better start from scratch. It was, oh, tweak here, tweak here, tweak here. So it was, it was a nice positive affirmation to see that Craig and I weren't completely crazy. This is Tom Smith, the world's fastest filker, and I'm geeking out with Angie Fiedler-Sutton. You can find Contents May Vary, the home of the Geek Out podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash contentsmayvary. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at the handle Angie F. Sutton. Be sure to give me a review over on iTunes or Stitcher. Finally, I have a newsletter. Be sure to sign up for it over at angiefsutton.com. And now, back to my interview with Aaron Guzzo and his musical on Nikola Tesla. Now, as far as the actual producing part, some drama on that. I, I was a music director at another theater that I originally wrote this for in mind for. I even had a meeting with the head there and, and told my idea of the project. I think there's a cool rock opera to be had about Nikola Tesla. It'd be sort of like a Vita and that it's mostly sung through and it's some classical Broadway music and some rock and, and, and she was like, yes, 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 go, go, go. And so the whole time of writing this, we, I had a few workshops at this theater. They would let me use actors on stage and, and visualize things. And I, the whole time I thought, okay, when I'm done, when it's ready, I've, I've got a theater lined up. And Craig and I finished it Valentine's Day 2016 because we had nothing else to do on Valentine's Day. And we finished the show and I, at the risk of, I guess, sounding completely arrogant, I think we knew it was good. We knew 
not that it's perfect, but we knew there is something here and proudly sent it off to my theater to basically crickets, basically a non response. And weeks went by and I, I, I became that guy. I, be, I, I became super annoying and would email again. Did you get it? What do you think? And, and any creator screenwriter probably feels that pain of like, you think you have a contact, you, you send it to them and then you realize, oh, I am annoying them. This is, I, I am a fly that they are having to, to, to swat. And that was a very hard blow for me. I wound up leaving the theater because I, I realized it wasn't going to get the time of day. I, I asked for, can I get one weekend? Doesn't even have to go on your schedule. Can I just get one? And no, you can't. And so left the theater and basically had a mental breakdown, which is seems to go hand in hand with creatives. And I went back to school. I completely walked away. I said, okay, I walked away from movies. That didn't work out. And I tried a show and that didn't work out. I'm not meant to create until that's not in the cards. Take a hint. It's been years. So I went back to school for visual effects. And that way I get to create and make things, but not have the whole production resting on my shoulder. I, I'm working for someone else's dream and getting paid. And so I went back to school and uh, fell in love with visual effects work. I, I loved it and I think I was good at it. And then out of the blue, Craig is the technical director at Barnsdall Theater in Hollywood, which is a great theater. It's in a park, it's beautiful. It, it's been around for decades. And he was like, I think we could do this there. They've got some openings this summer and I think we could pull it up. Let's just produce it. And so he, we, we sat down, we budgeted it. We looked at really, what do we have to pay everyone to make this? What is, how much is the death ray going to cost? Which was a spray painted Nerf gun. Anyway. As is most Hollywood <laughs> science fiction weapons. Well, we found an actual one that shoots electricity out, but that was going to be $3,000 a day. So we decided for a limited run, maybe not, maybe not do that. So anyway, budgeted out, realized we can, we can pull this off. We can do this without spending a boatload of money and uh, locked down the dates in the theater. I finished my semester at school and it was the uh, analogy I use on this. Imagine like the love of your life passes away and you're crushed, you're destroyed. How will I ever live? How will I move on? And then you meet someone new who, for the first time, you do start to feel happy again. And then you fall in love with that person and you see a whole future. And then guess what? Your original spouse, they survived the plane wreck. They are alive and they're back. Now what do I, that's what this was. I thought Tesla was dead. I move on to visual effects and then, oh, Tesla is now happening. And then once we started the production of this in April, things went frighteningly smoothly. For all the setbacks I've told about so far, once we said, yes, let's go, let's just do it. We found our director who was amazing and who, who supported it all the way through and didn't want to rewrite the whole show. We found a great cast. I only used one person that I already knew. Everyone else we found. The theater worked out nicely. We were able to do rehearsals there when it wasn't being used since he worked there, which never happens in theater. You always rehearse at some like basement and then the last week you get the theater. So that was a big plus. And then we had a great audience. We, it was a one weekend run, but we had both audiences. It was more full than not. No one threw tomatoes at us. They responded pretty well exactly like we hoped that they would. They laughed in the correct places and not at the sad places. Once we said go, it was a dream come true. 
So what's next on the timeline for Tesla specifically? Well, do you have any future plans for it? Oh, oh, do I have plans? Do I have realistic plans? <laughs> so a producer has come aboard the show who saw who was there throughout the rehearsal process. His kid was in it and we didn't we didn't know he was a producer and he, he we thought he was just transportation for the kid. And he saw enough to to share our sentiment that there is something beyond july 7th here which is when we ran it and so he became very heavily involved he made the poster i just showed you he recorded the show and made blu-rays of it and made a website that that we made the teslamusical.com and shortly after the show craig uh, mike the producer's name and myself all we formed an llc that the rights of the show now belong to and he is finding funding for our next version so i guess the the path to broadway is the workshop production which is what we just did then a staging theater production which is an in-between a limited run at a respected theater where they, they 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 test its legs they see does it make it past the first weekend does it get good response do people come back multiple times to see it does it cause a you know a flurry and then if the answer is yes to those things then off to to broadway it goes so that is next is the staging theater version we are looking for our next place that will let us uh, turn Tesla loose for a month or two. So if anyone has $2 million sitting around, um, hit me up. Oh, we're also doing a, a cast recording of the album uh, just to have a, a tangible product to show people. It's cool to talk about it. Oh, it's this cool show. It's fun and it's it's sad and it's scary and it, it's, it's nerdy. Okay, what is it? So it's, now we can hand them, well, here's a CD. At least to have something to hand people is our immediate next step. So I am in my room notating these songs. When we did the production, it was just me on piano and a few other instruments that I sort of half-assed the instrumentation to because there wasn't time. Now that we're, we're about to record with a full orchestra, I, there's no cheating. I have to write every single note. So that's my life right now. And uh, yeah cast recording and hopefully uh, staging theater somewhere. Awesome. Now, uh, we've mentioned uh, money m multiple times. Ask the inevitable question, what what do you do to pay the pay the bills currently? Uh, I'm a production assistant at a, a production company right now, and uh, it's flexible days, which is great. I also am a musical director at a kids theater, which is awesome because I'm not in charge of the kids. I just sit at the piano and play the songs, and they have a great time, and then I send them away. So, uh, you know, if, if L.A. or any big city, really anyone now, you don't just do one job. That's that's a thing of the past. So between being a production assistant and being a music director, I'm, I'm not homeless. And um, the, the idea, though, is, of course, for this to become the full time thing. Off we go to whatever theater to um, to do that. When, when we were doing uh, the production of this, the workshop, I was not working and I, I took a, a pretty big financial hit for like two months of just. It got real tight at the end there because it was pretty much it rested on Craig and me. So on call every day to wrangle everybody and get everyone up to speed and rehearsals and private rehearsals with the actors and meetings about every last things I never thought to think of. So for two, three months, there was no money coming in. And so now I'm anyway working again. Awesome. Now, um, you said it's a rock opera. You mentioned that uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber is a is a pretty big influence, uh, as well as you mentioned Stephen Schwartz. Uh, tell me a little bit more about the influences and, and, and you know, 
for for those who are sadly lacking as to what a you know get a little more details about what a rock opera specifically is and how that how Tesla why Tesla would be better as a rock opera rather than a more traditional Broadway. The 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 simplest answer is just because I like them. Like that's that's just what I'm drawn to, uh, and it just happens to be what I write. I, I, I uh, like uh, example. So another one of my inspirations, Danny Elfman, talks about when he did Nightmare Before Christmas, which as a child I could quote beginning to end. Anyway, he said when writing Nightmare Before Christmas, that was like writing his soul. Like that was the easiest he could fall out of bed and okay, a skeleton who wants to do Christmas, great, got it. I, he just he inherently understood what that meant. That is how I feel about Nikola Tesla and the the tone and, and music of that. I, I I get that, I think. I mean I might be totally bonkers, but have you delved into the why? Why it, it appeals to you? Um he's a creator. Only instead of creating rock operas and screenplays, he's creating, you know, the basis that all of modern society is based on with electricity. But nevertheless, I think he is a creator who was a little tunnel visioned, who only once he had his thing locked in, his life revolved around that. And I, I think I'm a little guilty of that, uh, especially with this show. It's almost meta of writing this. So, you know, a lot of my own personal relationships sort of took a, a, a sidebar, uh, sadly. And I, a lot of his woes resonated with me. And on musically, it's, it's funny. Craig and I had a talk when we first started about we kind of don't like musicals. And, and, and with that, like 10 asterisks after that, meaning the old like MGM 50s, you know, spirit fingers and just a kick line. And it's just, let's be happy, 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 happy. You are happy now. That doesn't, that falls flat for us. Not that they're bad shows, but it's just not your wheelhouse. It's just not my wheelhouse. It just doesn't resonate. They're of another time. And we're like, what doesn't work? What do we not like? And a big trope we don't like is the, we're talking, we're talking, we're talking, we're getting worked up, and here comes the song. That just is so artificial. Any reality is, is shattered with that. And I'm like, well, then why am I buying Les Mis? Which, you know, is three, like, and a half hours, and it's all sung through, and it's all over the top. It's all melodrama. I 100% buy that. And I think the reason is, one... It's not sticking to any one form. The music just goes where it needs to. And two, it's all sung. You're, it's What's throwing us off is the transition from dialogue to sung. If you just stick with one, in, their case, in the rare case of all music, you can at least, okay, we're in a parallel reality in which it's everything is sung. So the, the, the suspension of disbelief is less. We can just sing everything. And there's a certain level, I think, of, of darkness that comes with Tesla's life, of, profound things wrong with him and wrong with his enemies he was up against thomas edison you know things got really really messed up they were electrocuting animals to to like prove the other's current is is worse so that jived with me i don't know what that says about me but like I, i've read like every stephen king novel. i love stephen king he he's my my writing if if, if lloyd weber is my musical god stephen king's my writing god so I like that this could go to some maybe uncomfortable places that typically aren't gone to in Broadway. But lately, they, you know, like with, with Hamilton, of course, everyone's thinking Hamilton now, you know, spoiler for God's sake, the guy's kid is shot. And then he is shot in the same manner. Like that's, oh, it doesn't get more crushing than that. So Broadway is a little more accepting of, of 
these messed up places. So that that really drew me to it. Out of curiosity, what are your thoughts on Spring Awakening, where the music is more mono, inner monologues intentionally separated from the dialogue? You know, I listened to it once. This is me being a, a bad Broadway person. And I remember it being fine, but I, for whatever reason, I, I guess I do need a bit of more of a melody. I need a bit more melodrama. And, and it, 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 for whatever reason, I didn't leave it humming anything. There was nothing stuck in my head. That's my no number one requirement for like a week after or even longer. I need things stuck in my head driving me crazy where I, I don't ever want to hear it again. And th that didn't quite happen with Spring Awakening. Not that it's not a good show, but it, I think it needs to be seen live. I think I need to go to a theater and watch real actors perform it and then I will get that show. I'm not sure it was made for a recording like some of the others I've mentioned are. I had heard the soundtrack back when I was stage managing for the Full Monty, so there's some weird connection there. Right <laughs> and I was like, songs are okay, I liked it, but it wasn't until I actually saw it that I got why everybody was talking about it. Well, I will get in trouble for this and turn everyone against me. I feel the same way about Hamilton. I'm actually, I'm, I call myself fan adjacent to Hamilton. <laughs> I personally am not a huge fan of it, but I've got enough of my friends who are rave about it that I'm like, you do you. It's not that I hate it. It's, it's a epic poem it's yeah. a two-hour poem I, I concede that i need to see it live yeah. i'm not sure it lends itself to a recording because I, I again i need more singing i just need to me really a musical ultimately is just a tour of melodies it's just a taking us by the hand via a character tesla or hamilton or dr jekyll whoever it may be is just the ship that we are on board taking us around these melodies and that's, you know, if, if a uh, going with the ship analogy, you know, you're seeing mountains, you're seeing whatever on the river, you're seeing different sites, each one different, each one inspiring you or whatever. That's what the melodies are. We're, okay, now we're going to look at this. Now we're going to listen to this. And at the end, you come back home, hopefully changed. Now we're getting close to the end of my uh, recording. The name of my podcast is obviously Geek Out. Tesla is a very geeky subject. You also mentioned uh, Lovecraft, who's also a hu huge in the geek world. There was an article uh, several years ago that I'll link on my podcast about the rise of geek theater with a lot of plays that are more lining into the geek concept. Uh, there's this lovely play called She, Call uh, she Kills Monsters, which is all about D&D, basically. Cool. Do you consider this geek theater? That's an all caps yes right there. Well, another thing when I, I mentioned earlier, Craig and I talking about things we didn't like about theater is that it's it's really, we're, we're ultimately not the audience of, of two cynical, straight white guys are oftentimes not who the show is going for. I mean, it's, it's more often than not, it's the girlfriend or the wife dragging the husband there. It's, it's, and there's nothing wrong with this. A lot of musical theater is for is written with women and gay men in mind. And that's fine. That's awesome. And it, it works. It ain't broke, don't fix it. We sort of wanted for once one that maybe the guys are dragging their girlfriend to. That maybe as someone who isn't as into theater would be a little more excited about. And and to hopefully get this the staple theater people in. But we were hoping to to bring in the not the people who might roll their eyes at a musical. So with that said, the geek nerd crowd, the, the cosplay crowd, the comic con crowd, what the gamer crowd, people who the, the oatmeal crowd, people who do love Nikola Tesla and and are fans of him and and 
have strong feelings, hopefully not only will they come see it, but they'll A, maybe learn something they didn't know, and B, maybe have a changed opinion on him because we don't worship the guy. We present him almost at the end as his own antagonist. So it's not entirely fan service. So I, I, nothing would make me happier than the, the Tesla geeks to come out of this debating the show. Was this correct? Was this right? Was this good? Was this accurate? Going, I'm going to Wikipedia that. That's BS. Oh my God, no, it's not. So I would be more than happy to have endless nerd debates on Nikola Tesla and even lose some. Maybe someone knows more than me. I don't know. Well, and as you know, when we first met and you mentioned it, I audibly gasped and went, ah, Tesla. And you kind of gave me that look of, maybe I should move to another seat. <laughs> it's one of three reactions. It's that reaction, which is the one that I love. Or, I love Tesla cars. I want to get one someday. It's awesome you're doing a show about Elon Musk. Mm, okay. I, I don't, sometimes I correct, sometimes I don't. And three, the third reaction is, who? And that's interesting. I, I like that. I like that not everyone's heard of him, that we will have a mixture of the hardcore fans and people going, okay, something about electricity. I know Thomas Edison, but he's the bad guy in this. What? I, I like not everyone knows everything about him. And, and I'm still trying to decide uh, whether I'm happy or not that the current war is currently put on hold thanks to the uh, Weinstein allegations. Right. right. Well, I read the script to it, and... Frankly, it paints Edison as a pretty okay dude. That was what I was afraid of. <laughs> it, it's really like, oh, they're both just opposing ideologies. And like, oh, what, what is a little worse than the other? I don't think, by the way, uh, the, in the muddiness of this, I don't think Edison is as bad as the oatmeal presents him, by the way. The more we, we researched him, we're like, okay, he is a monster. But there is some really cool stuff he did that is fascinating. And his his outlook on life was very interesting. And... So act one, he is the Disney villain. Act two, we humanize him a bit more. So I don't think Edison is quite as bad as nerd culture has painted him. I also don't think Tesla is as good. But but they are, Tesla's better. Now, um, obviously, as a writer and a composer, you're uh, working on multiple items. So what else other than Tesla is in your immediate future for what you're working on? That's a really good question. Uh, I was so not prepared for that. Uh, so Craig and I are currently in the process of gearing up on a television series that we actually wrote before Tesla. It was originally called Epidemic, but it's not about an epidemic, so we've retitled it The Anomaly. And it's about a small town where suddenly there's a mass epidemic of telepathy. Everyone can read everyone's minds. There's no secret. There's, yeah, everything you don't want me to know about you, I can, I now know, but vice versa. Most shows about telepathy it's one person has the drop on everyone else. And they're the, the secret person getting everyone's secrets. Here, even playing field. And uh, that leads to a lot of conflict. So we wrote that in like 2013 and have been revising it. And oddly, since Tesla got made, people are coming out of the, wor the woodworks and asking us exactly that. What else do you guys have? And so we have other projects, but that's the one that we're getting a few meetings on and, and people are, re are requesting further materials on. So we just spent like a week hammering out our show Bible and, and getting the, the rest of season one really locked down. So it has nothing to do with Tesla at all. This is, couldn't be further, but it weirdly helps of having a different mental muscle to, to work on because there's nothing in common really with television and a Broadway 
show. Now, a uh, standard question that I try and ask everybody I interview, what are you currently geeking out about and why? Well, also not useful for a audio podcast, but if you look right over there, you will see a whole pile of board games. Just a few weeks ago, some of my friends, uh, I used to be a page at CBS, uh, CBS Cares, and we were fellow page. We haven't been in touch in years, but they out of, out of the blue invited me to Strategy Con down at the LAX uh, Hilton. And Craig and I just went. It was a Saturday. Like, okay, it's free. We got nothing to do. And we had like the best day ever. It was awesome. We played Ticket to Ride, Rails and Sales, and uh, a few other games, co code names, whatnot. And my understanding of board games really was like Risk, Monopoly, Clue, you know, uh, things I was, I was bored with. And to just sort of stumble into, oh, there is a whole universe of very specific nerds. Not just like, we know, we know Comic-Con, we know, of course, mass media, you know, any the t hit TV shows and, and hit movies. No, board games. And so that has sent me down a, a rabbit hole. I, ju I just had my 30th birthday and my party, I had a board game night and a bunch of grown-ass adults playing board games. It was great. So you'll be celebrating International Tabletop Day. So, so this is, I'm new. I'm new. I'm, I'm, I'm a, this is all in the last like three weeks. So you got to tell me, when is this? Uh, well, uh, it's usually in April and it's run by uh, Geek and Sundry. I got to go to the actual launch in, I want to say 2014. It may have been 2013 to, to watch everybody. But yeah, it's every day. It just It's 24 hours where you get to you play board games. And they usually have, the Geek and Sundry channel usually has giveaways and, and various local gaming shops will participate. That sounds awesome. And I'm glad that it's in April, which means I have plenty of time to get ready, just because I, I, I'm not great at these board games yet. I'm, I'm really just happy to be there. <laughs> what about it draws you? Um, ooh. What made you go, this is fascinating? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, my, most of my, my geekiness has been consuming media. I love reading novels. I love watching movies and shows. And even, but even if you do that with friends, you're not really clicking with them in the middle of that. You're, you're just sitting there watching it. Maybe you comment to each other, but it is, it is essentially isolated. Uh, I like that board games is a social thing where you are, you're not just sitting there. You, you are destroying your friend's wealth in, in their game that they've worked so hard for. Or cooperating. Yeah, you can cooperate too. Yeah, yeah. We just we just did Oregon Trail, and that's a cooperative game, and we all died. Hopefully, of diff century. And 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 starvation, and yes, it was it was true to the video game. I feel like it's so innocent in a time that's like it's just not innocent right now. Like, I don't mean, I don't mean to get into politics on this. It's not what this is. But without me saying anything, we know it right now are pretty cynical times where the just like my show the anomaly the worst in people is coming out we're seeing the worst and even like tesla and the things we write are, are there's a lot of negativity there's a lot of darkness i i like that it's just okay we're playing scrabble and i'm trying to make a, a good word until you flip the table like i i, I like that i like the innocence of it uh, it made for a great party we had a, we had a great 30th birthday party Great. Now, is there anything that you thought I was going to ask that I hadn't or that you wanted to cover that we haven't? No, just that it is looking like our next version, without me revealing things that I shouldn't, will happen next year. The, the big staging version. 
And so look out in the next few months. Hopefully you will be seeing Tesla more on Tesla the musical. I would also say um, if this has lit something up in you, this has fired you up, drop me a, a line. Uh, go on the website and check it out. I, I think there's no way to have too much interest in this. If we can gather people who want to know about this immediately, and then they will know about this, and then when it goes, hey, be the, be the first in line. Be the first to experience it. Be the first to, to tell me what you thought of it. Because it, it's coming next year. Awesome. Now, you mumbled through it very quickly last time. So uh, just in case people don't go to my website and just hear the podcast itself through iTunes or whatnot, tell me where people can find out more about Tesla and yourself. www.theteslamusical.com And now it's time for Angie Geeks Out. October is Halloween season. And with that, the ghosts and goblins start coming out into the world. Los Angeles, of course, has more than its share of haunted attractions. From the Warner Brothers horror-themed studio tour to Universal Studios' Halloween Horror Nights. But what can be better than something at a location that really may be haunted? The Queen Mary is a luxury ocean liner that first launched in 1936 and was retired in 1967. It's housed in Long Beach, California, and is now a floating hotel, event venue, and home to restaurants and exhibit about the ship and its history and its own stories of hauntings. In fact, Time Magazine named the Queen Mary one of its top 10 haunted places in 2008. So of course, they use this to their best advantage when Halloween rolls around. The Queen Mary Dark Harbor Haunted Attraction has been around in its current form since 2010, and on September 28th of this year, I was lucky enough to attend press night for this year's. I wrote up my interviews and included a little review for Fandomopolis as well as my own site. As I wrote there, this was my first time attending the haunted attraction, although I had taken their normal haunted tour before. And I was thoroughly impressed. It was more than just an attraction. It was an extravaganza. Six mazes, a 4D movie, stages with entertainment such as aerial acts, and a carnival ride from Michael Jackson's Neverland Ranch were all part of the experience. My press access also got me two drink tickets, so of course I had to try the ice cave, held in a 9-degree icy chamber with its vodka tasting. It had all sorts of flavored vodka, from peanut butter and jelly to plum to root beer, which was one of the ones I tried. All six of the mazes were great. One of the ones on the ship was centered around one of the real ghost sightings, Mary, a little girl who drowned in the Queen Mary first-class swimming pool in 1952. But my favorite was the circus-themed one, with lots of clowns and sideshow acts. There were several times in the mazes I was caught off guard, and even one time when I knew there was going to be a scare, and they still got me. On top of the mazes, the attraction was filled with various actors who were dressed from everything to other ghosts, to a haunted DJ, to other things, and they were all fabulous. It was, without question, one of the best haunted attractions I've ever been to, and is now in my things I will have to make sure to catch every year. If you're in the Los Angeles area, I highly recommend it. It continues until November 2nd, and you can find out more on queenmary.com. And that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks to Aaron for taking the time for me to interview him. As mentioned, more information on him and the musical can be found at theteslamusical.com. Stay tuned after the M theme of this podcast to hear the song teased at the beginning in its entirety, Temptation slash Inspiration. Thanks also to Tom Smith for his plug. You can hear his interview with me about Filk in episode 32. This episode's shout-out is to Jesse Salisbury, my first Patreon supporter. Thanks! And yes, I now have a Patreon. 
For as little as $1 a podcast, you can help support me and the creation of this podcast and read some behind-the-scenes stories of each of my episodes. The $5 level gets you the podcast a smidge early and maybe some other goodies to come. Visit patreon.com slash Angie F. Sutton for all the information about it. Next up, I'm going to be interviewing Hansi Oppenheimer, the woman behind the Squee documentary project and getting ready for SqueeCon. Until next time, stay geeky. Thanks for listening to Geek Out with Angie Fiedler Sutton. The theme song is Schoolyard Haze by Yari Picknikin, available via the Free Music Archive. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike License. More information about the podcast is available on AngieFSutton.com.
information I will 